choice is brought to you by Exclusive Books, celebrating getting more books to more people. It's Tuesday, it's September, and it's time for, hopefully, your favourite book show on the radio. You're tuned into Book Choice on Fine Music Radio with me, your host, Paige Nick, sponsored, as always, by Exclusive Books. We've got a huge, jam-packed show lined up for you today. The first half of the show is all reviews, mostly fiction. And the second half of the show, we delve into three big author interviews. Two of them are non-fiction, and one of them is fiction. Beverly Ruiz Miller is going to start us off with a review of the latest by Martin Cruz Smith, who's an American mystery novelist with more than 10 novels to his name. One of them you definitely should have heard of. It's one of those household name novels. So stick around to see which one that is. Then we're joined by Rachel van der Feyfer, who's our resident grade 9 YA novel reviewer. She has two novels to tell us about. Both are vastly different, but both are also loosely linked to Greek mythology, so there is a link there. John Hanks is up after that in our much-loved nature book slot with a book on spiders. And then Twanji Kalula reviews Wolf Hustle by Sin Farber in his inimitable style. And then we get into the interviews. As I mentioned, we have three great in-depth interviews for you this month. Vanessa Levenstein chats to Carolyn Stan about her book, 67 Blankets for Nelson Mandela. This is a super worthy cause and of interest to all the knitters and crocheters out there. Then Beryl Eichenberger chats to South African author Chantal Stewart about her novel called The Veil of Maya. This book was joint winner of the Humanities and Social Sciences Award for Best Fiction Novel in 2023, which a prize that she shared with Sue Nyati for The Angel's Demise and Veronica Tajo for The Company of Men. After that, Philip Todras brings us an interview just in time for spring for all you hikers out there. He chats to the two authors of a book called Hiking Beyond Cape Town. That's Nina Duplessis and Willie Olafier. Those are the authors. And so let's get this bookie party started. You're tuned into Book Choice on Fine Music Radio with me, your host, Paige Nick, sponsored by Exclusive Books. Let's get the show on the road. As promised, our first review comes from Beverly Rose Miller, author of Bullet to the Heart. Beverly is a big fan of this author who she's reviewed. His name is Martin Cruz Smith, and I'm looking forward to her insights. As far as I know, she's, I think she's read all of his books, so she's sure to give us some insight into his whole oeuvre, and not just this latest one, which is called Independence Square. This author has a slew of books under his name. The one you may recognize most is Gorky Park. Remember that? It was a smash hit when it came out in 1981. So Bev mentioned to me in passing that this is a very topical book, his latest one, and that's piqued my interest. Tell us what it's about, Bev. Back in the days of the Cold War, a young American author named Martin Cruz Smith came up with a crazy idea of writing a political crime novel in which the hero was a Russian police investigator. His publishers hated the plan, but he persisted, and Gorky Park became one of the most dazzling novels of the 80s. I've just reread it and was impressed all over again by its talent. It was also made into a watchable movie by, with the late, lovely William Hurt playing the investigator and has just the best ending. Smith went on to write ten books about a cynical and observant chief investigator, Arkady Renko, son of a famous Russian general. He somehow just manages to survive in a world in which the truth is far less important than conforming to the latest political message. Polar Star is the sequel, also one of my favourites. 
His latest independent square is the tenth in the series, and admittedly it is not Smith at the height of his powers. He is now 80, diagnosed with Parkinson's. Yet the book still woos the reader with the intelligent perception of a now old Renko also struggling with Parkinson's, which has chained him to a desk, wondering how to solve not only the murder of a famous Russian political dissident, but also how to negotiate a modern Russia in which the veneer seems shinier, but the underbelly is little different to the past. Given the recent assumed death of the Wagner mercenary head Prigozhin, this passage written about a Putin critic in the book feels prophetic. The order came down from on high that the investigation was to be given the highest priority. A joint task force was established, and together the entire Federation would work tirelessly, brilliantly, and in an exemplary, multidisciplinary fashion to bring the perpetrators to justice. In other words, it would be a muddle of competing agencies, generally ensuring that any loose useful leads would be lost either by accident or design in the confusion, which was, of course, the whole point. Independent Square is the main square in Kiev, capital of Ukraine, and its complicated and fraught relationship with Russia is part of the background, as is Crimea, where hundreds of thousands of minorities were rounded up and shipped out once Russia invaded it in 2014, one of many facts we seem not to hear. Poor old Russia, destined to have great literature, a brave and stoic population, and terrible leaders, including the latest little Tsar, as remorseless and rich as the one deposed a century ago. It's a world in which the system has always been far more dangerous to its own people than outsiders, an observation once made by the author. Martin Cruz Smith, more than anyone else, rivaled the great John le Carre at his best, which was the Smiley Trilogy. Both of the author's later work, though readable, feels like a slow downhill slide of a once great athlete, still competing on a world stage, but no longer in the finals. Yet their very talent and determination still a monument to their great achievements. If you've loved Smith's work, as I have all these years, then you will likely enjoy this, even while missing a bit of what is no longer there. And if you haven't yet read him, think of all the joy that you still have ahead of you. Ten Arkady Renko books. What a treat lies ahead. I've been talking about Independence Square by Martin Cruz Smith. Thank you, Beverly Rose Miller. Next up, we welcome our favourite young adult fiction reviewer, Rachel van der Feyfer. Rachel is in grade 9 at Rustenburg High School, and this month she's going to tell us about two apparently quite different books. The first is Lies We Sing to the Sea by Sarah Underwood, published by Electric Monkey, which is an imprint of HarperCollins. And the other one is The Sun and the Star by Rick Riordan, published by Penguin. So as I said, I'm told they're very different, but they do share Greek mythology themes. So that should be interesting. If there's a young reader in your life, take a listen, because everyone knows the best gift in the world is a great book. The Sun and the Star, Rick Redden's latest book set in the Percy Jackson universe, is a standalone story featuring Nico D'Angelo and his boyfriend, Will Salas. Nico is being haunted by constant nightmares. He's convinced it's coming from his friend, Bob, the reformed titan who used to be called Apatus, who now lives in Tartarus. And when Rachel Dare repeats the same prophecy for the twelfth time, Nico is convinced they have to travel to the underworld and save his friend. 
As with all of Rick Riordan's other books, The Sun and the Star was an amazing story, and it was really nice to jump back into the Rick Riordan universe with his new story featuring other characters. I would definitely recommend this for any fans of Greek mythology and especially fans of Rick Riordan's other books and series. The second book I'll be reviewing, Lies We Sing to the Sea by Sarah Underwood, is also inspired by Greek mythology. Every year in Ithaca, 12 maidens are hanged to appease the sea god Poseidon's wrath to protect the island from total destruction. But when Leto is hanged, she finds herself not in the realm of Hades, but on Pandal, a mysterious island inhabited by the beautiful and immortal Melantho. There, she learns she has the chance to break the centuries-old curse to save the lives of hundreds of young women. All she has to do is kill the prince. I love this book. There were a lot of mixed reviews online, so I was a bit hesitant, but I thought it was a brilliant story and it was super gripping. I love Greek mythology and mythological inspired stories and retellings, and I thought this one was a really good one. It took some inspiration from the story of Penelope's Twelve Maidens, hanged by Odysseus, but it tells an entirely new story set a few centuries later. An important thing to note, however, is that the book does include a content warning at the beginning that includes content that may be distressing to some readers, so it's probably not the best choice for younger people. Overall, it was a really good book, and I would definitely recommend reading it to anyone. Thank you, Rachel. That was Lies We Sing to the Sea by Sarah Underwood, published by Electric Monkey and imprint of Collins. That was the first book she reviewed. And The Sun and the Star by Rick Riordan, published by Penguin. So how about some music, and then we can get on with the show. This first track is Valisa Dedi by Stanislav and Friends, composed by Emil Carrara. Thank you. 
tuned into Book Choice here on Fine Music Radio, sponsored by Exclusive Books, with me, your host, Paige Nick. This is one of the few radio shows you can tune into in South Africa for a jam-packed hour full of book reviews and interviews. John Hanks is next up on our lineup, and he fills in our nature book slot. Welcome to the show, John. I'm told you have a review on the new field guide on the spiders of South Africa to tell us about. I googled it, and this book has a really interesting cover. Uh, that's the one downside of a radio show. We can't show you the cover, but it's a crazy spider with lots of eyes. Really wild. What did you make of this book, John? What a pleasure it has been to review a superb field guide on the spiders of South Africa. It's been compiled by Ansi Dipanaskuman, who has impeccable credentials as one of the world's leading spider experts, with over 300 published titles to her credit. Featuring over 780 spider species that occur in South Africa, in the field and in our gardens and homes, I'm sure that some of you listening to this review will not be too enthusiastic about a field guide about a component of our biodiversity which is unjustifiably widely feared. And I say unjustifiably because although some spiders do have venom, harmful to humans, no spider-related death has ever been recorded in this country. I'm convinced that those who have spider phobia will change when they pick up this book and see the photographs which have captured the extraordinary and even spectacular variations in structure and colour of spiders, in my opinion, unequalled in the animal kingdom. The introduction is also excellent, with text and illustrations of spider morphology to help with identification of species and information on life cycles and behaviour. There is a section on spider silk, known to everyone by the often intrusive spider webs, a truly remarkable product of nature, stronger than any human-made fibre, and it's used by spiders to build fascinatingly designed webs and retreats to trap and wrap prey, and even as a sail to fly through the air. Now, unlike the wasteful throwaway behaviour which characterises so much of human society, spiders are known to recycle old webs, eating and rolling up used silk, with the ingested material being available within just 30 minutes to make new webs. To help with identification, the field guide is divided into three sections, namely web dwellers, plant dwellers and ground dwellers, with each of these sections having a well-designed and detailed key to identify the spider families. For those who remain worried about spider bites, those species with venom of medical importance have a red skull and crossbones next to their common names. The concise descriptions of each species are accompanied by a distribution map and images of the very high standards I mentioned earlier, which have been provided by over 100 photographers. This is a field guide that will surely make all those who pick it up take an interest in a component of our biodiversity that many have overlooked, and it's right on our doorsteps too. The title again, Field Guide for the Spiders of South Africa. It's written by Ansi Dipanar-Skoman and has just been published by Straight Nature. And you can buy a copy for 480 rand. And now for some Twanji Kalula with our last review before we head into a couple of great author interviews. Twanji just finished reading Wolf Hustle by Sin Faber. Having not heard of this book, I googled it and these first lines grabbed me. 
They said, this is the blurb, from the South Bronx projects to the boardroom, at only 19 years old, Sin Faber ran with the wolves on Wall Street. Ooh, sounds good. Tell us, Twanji, tell us. I stumbled across Wolf Hustle, a black woman on Wall Street by Sin Fabre by accident. Like most avid readers, my two-read pals are massive, but once in a while I find myself completely lost and convince myself that I have nothing to read. It's like Donatella Versace complaining that she has nothing to wear. It's completely ridiculous, I know. I settled on Wolf Hustle in the spirit of Embracing Women's Month. I read a lot of business-focused books, and female authors with breakout bestsellers in this category tend to be far and few between. So I thought, what's more inspiring than hearing from a woman, let alone a black woman, who made it on Wall Street, one of the toughest streets in the world? Having been fascinated by Jordan Belford's take on Wall Street through The Wolf of Wall Street, I was interested to hear another take on the excess, stress, and fast money that powers the world's most exciting stock exchange. The book's title, Wolf Hustle, is very accurate. It becomes very clear very quickly that Sin Bray is a wolf. Rather than trying to emulate the men she works with on Wall Street, she inherently shares their wolfish nature. From an early age, she starts looking to make a quick back. The thrill of money intoxicates her, and like most wolves, her morals are flexible when the opportunity for a quick win arises. It is this fire in her belly that takes her from the South Bronx to the boardroom by the age of 19. She starts off working at an offshoot of the firm that Jordan Belford built his notorious career at, with few prospects and reams of grunt work. Her fiery spirit takes over and in no time she's climbing the corporate ladder, winning and losing fortunes along the way and enjoying all the trappings that come with it. But it isn't easy. She works extremely hard, puts in grueling hours and faces inequality. You can't help but admire her fearless determination to succeed. One of the book's instant highlights is its ability to take us through the challenges that come with having dual identities. In Sin's case, she was born in the United States to first-generation parents from Haiti. Haitian culture is a huge factor in her life. Her mother makes sure of that, looking beyond their poverty in their very undesirable projects to instill a sense of pride and an air of superiority in her three children. The breakout star of her memoir, in many ways, is undoubtedly her mother. She is far from perfect. In fact, the author shares a few things about her that I would have probably kept in the vault. But despite her quirks and flaws, Sin paints a picture of a woman who gave her the grit and determination to make it on Wall Street, even if some of her antics were misguided. On the other hand, her father is the villain. She paints a picture of a womanizing loser who sees his wife and kids as distractions from his ultimate quest to better his own circumstances. He too is a hustler and is always up to something. He makes it clear that his family is not his priority. Though she struggles to acknowledge it, one can't help but see some of the spirit that makes her story so remarkable in him too. The book wasn't exactly what I expected at all, but I was far from disappointed. I expected it to be a serious, this is how I did it kind of book and was really surprised by how much I laughed along the way. The author really takes you into her confidence and shares the triumphs and tragedies of her life and career. It felt like nothing was off limits. It is one of the more exciting and refreshing memoirs I've read in a while, and if you want to feel like you're having an extended lunch with a really smart friend who's unfiltered, a little unhinged, and more gussy than you ever think you'll be, this book is a great way to spend an afternoon. Wolf Hustle, A Black Woman on Wall Street by Sin Fabre was published by Hatchet and retails for 400 Rand.
Okay, let me try not to butcher the title too much. Moliando de Café by James Gray, on guitar and Sadiq Khan on flamenco guitar. Right here on Fine Music Radio, where we're knee-deep in our latest episode of Book Choice, sponsored by Exclusive Books. And now, the interviews. I want to welcome my bookie bestie, Vanessa Levenstein, to the show. She chatted to Carolyn Stan about her book. Well, I don't actually less her book. It's all of our book. This is 67 Blankets for Nelson Mandela. It's a book bought out by a fabulous non-profit organization, and this one is for the knitters and crocheters out there. I like to knit, but I never quite got the hang of crocheting. Welcome to the show, you guys. 67 Blankets for Nelson Mandela Day, The Knitting and Crochet Revolution, is a magnificent coffee table book, and it threads together a decade of quotes, stories, and images. Joining us today, actually from the airport, is the founder of 67 Blankets, Carolyn Stain. Welcome. Thank you so much, Vanessa. Lovely to be with you. Firstly, a huge congratulations on the incredible work both you and your organization have achieved. It's quite remarkable. Now, the blankets in this book represent so much more than just warmth. They talk about hope, about giving from the heart. Was this clear when you started the project with your first ball of wool? 
You know, we didn't think of a book at the start, but, you know, going through all the pictures and you get the memories on Facebook and it's just so beautiful. So I just think it's so important that we put our memories together. You know, in the book, if you go through it, it's glossy. It's a beautiful coffee table book. It's not just a collection of pages and pictures, but a tapestry of stories of creative craftsmanship and of, of a powerful movement that warms both bodies of the recipients and the souls of the people making the blankets. So it has become the knitting and crochet revolution that weaves together the threads of compassion, community, creativity, showcasing our journey that resonates far beyond just hooks, needles and yarn. It really, really is beautiful, a beautiful gift. Um, just for our listeners, the book is divided into decades, and there are 10 years that the book covers, and each year is a new chapter, and it starts with a quote, it starts with a story about Madiba, chronicles his life, and it also talks about where the world was at when this work was being done. So your work contrasts against often what was a very turbulent time in our history. Absolutely. And I think it was very, very cleverly put together by our writer, David Gemmel, you know, contextualizing what was happening in the past decade, you know, with the history of 67 Blankets. So I think it's very clever. And of course, you know, in terms of a younger audience, not understanding the history of Madiba and our country, it's all there, along with the history of 67 Blankets for Nelson Mandela Day. It's such a proudly South African book, you know, a book that makes one smile and fills one with joy and brings about tears because of such a profound sense of Ubuntu. You know, Yusuf Abramji always talks about the fact when he's at our events, this is Ubuntu in action. And those pictures, those Guinness World Record pictures, pictures of our nitwits from Adiba, our ambassadors, our beautiful blankets, the works done by school children, by prisoners, by the Johannesburg Society for the Blind. It's all there, and it's a treasure trove of memories, and I'm just so proud of it. It's a beautiful gift, and we'd love, you know, people to buy the book and put it on their coffee table and read the book and give us gifts and a lovely corporate gift as well. I was getting to that because the book retails at just over a thousand rand, worth every cent, but not everyone has access to that money. So is it also a fundraiser for 67 Blankets, this book? Absolutely. The book was funded by me yeah. and all the money that, that you know comes through with the sales of the books will go to 67 Blankets for Nelson Mandela Day. We are a registered MPO. And of course, there's so many people who've got the will that do not have the wool, who call out for wool every day and the monies raised through the sale of the book will go towards wool. Also, you know, there's so many nitwits from Adiba, you know, at our book launch last night um, who can't afford the book. You know, it's quite pricey, but in line with the rest of the other coffee table books at Exclusive Books, it's not that pricey. So I'm encouraging, I'd love your listeners to consider purchasing a book to give to a nitwit who has given so much of his or her time to creating blankets for people who otherwise wouldn't have that warmth over the cold winter months. And of course, perhaps a corporate could come on board to sponsor books for people who've contributed so much. Well, I second that. And it's been quite synchronistic having this book in my office. We've got a 
box full of wool at our reception. And we're collecting oh. wool for Women's Zone, who are also House and Artscapes, an associated company, who are nitwits and are doing knit and natter. And they're doing these fabulous activations with wool. And Fire Music Radio, we're donating our copy to Women's Zone. So if you are in Cape Town, that's the library you can find this particular copy. So we're very excited about this book and we're excited about sharing it. Carolyn, you've been so generous with your time. What fuels you? What fuels me? Well, you know, when Zelda Lechransi put out the challenge to me all those years ago, nine and a half years ago on my husband's birthday, December 19th, 2013, um, I didn't realize what a gift that was. So when I see people being excited about the project, people putting on activations, the knit-a-thons happening around the country. You know, they're springing up all over the show. When I see the excitement and how it's changed people's lives, when I see our blankets draped around young orphan children or elderly people, I feel inspired to do so much more. I'm inspired just listening to this. I can see Mizzou <laughs> smiling as well. He's going to take out a crochet hook soon. Oh, good, good. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much for the extraordinary work you do. I just want to end with my favorite quote, which is from Carolyn Stain. United, we are making the world a friendlier, more colorful, warmer and kinder place. We are knitting the tapestry of thousands of lives together. We've been talking to Carolyn Stain about the book 67 Blankets for Nelson Mandela Day, The Knitting and Crochet Revolution. Thank you. This big old world keeps turning in so many different ways Ever shifting, rearranging the players and the plays But one thing, time has never altered since the day we said I do You're still every bit as beautiful and love still looks good on you Next car that I bought you, the one you wore today, has become a little faded and just a little frayed. It's always been your color, that shade of baby blue, yet still every bit as beautiful, and it still looks good on you. Still looks good on you
You're still every bit as beautiful And love still looks good on you Yes, you're every bit as beautiful And love still looks good Good on you by Salim Kaji and Don Vino, streaming on Book Choice on Fine Music Radio with me, Paige Nick, sponsored by Exclusive Books. If you've missed any of the books or authors we've mentioned on today's show and you'd like a memory refresher, you can download a podcast of the show on fmr.co.za or on our FMR app, which you've hopefully already downloaded from the App Store. Our next interview is with wonderful Beryl Eichenberger chatting to Chantal Stewart, author of award winning novel The Veil of Maya. Welcome to the show. We love to hear from authors on the show. For me, it always makes for a richer experience to read a book when you have some insight into the author's motives, thoughts, and processes. Welcome to the show, Beryl and Chantal. Being recognized for a literary prize is no mean feat for an author, doubly so when it is a debut novel. Chantal Stewart should be rightly proud of her achievement with The Veil of Maya, as joint winner of Humanities and Social Sciences Award Best Fiction Novel 2023, she shares a platform with established writers Suni Arti and Veronique Tadjo. High praise indeed. Welcome, Chantal, to the studio. And perhaps explain what this means to you and your book and what the judges actually look for. Thanks very much, Beryl, and thank you for having me. So the National Institute of Humanities and Social Sciences is an offshoot of Pretoria University and the prize they have a number of prizes but the novel prize is really looking at bringing together aspects of the humanities and the sciences and that is very much what I try to do in the novel is to bring together medical science and the alternative view of that. Um, and so I was surprised to have won the prize. I was very happy when I was shortlisted, and I thought that's where it would end. Mm-hmm. So I was really amazed to have won the prize and delighted. Well, The Veil of Maya certainly deserves it. I, I mean, I loved every moment of reading the book. But perhaps explain, what is The Veil of Maya? Because it's not a spoiler. Yeah, The Veil of Maya is really an Eastern Buddhist Hindu Um, sort of religious term which means the veil of illusion so it refers to the the blinkering that we all have you know we all walk through life and see things through our own eyes through Mm -hmm. our own fairly narrow perspective um, when in fact the reality the truth is maybe something different so that is the veil which covers our eyes and interferes with how we perceive life And within the book, there are a number of themes, competing realities being one of them. Your characters are both scientists, one in the medical field 
Lena. Yes. And the other in astronomy. Yes. How did those characters come about? I mean, you're in the medical field. Yeah. And I assume that you drew on your some of your own experience. But Gabriel, the astronomer? Yeah, so I think Lena is very much based on my experience, mm-hmm. and she is a doctor. She's a geneticist, and those are fields that I'm familiar with. Gabriel and people have asked me if he's based on anyone, and he, he isn't really. He's based on probably four different aspects of four people that I know. Um, I wanted a romantic hero. When I grew up in the 60s, 70s, you know, my hero was Heathcliff, which is probably oh, not yes. very unpopular. Oh, yes, all of us. Dark So and the dark, tormented, brooding <laughs> yes. hero. So I wanted that sort of feel to Gabriel. Um, and that's, that's how he came about. The astronomy, I'm interested in astronomy, mm. so I know a little bit about it. And that seemed a good um, vehicle to use apart from medicine to look at the different perspectives of or concepts of things. And of course the, the medicine plays a big role because of Lena's involvement in she's a geneticist and her involvement in actually having to go to Swaziland to try and identify this strange disease. Do you want to describe that? Yeah, so I think in, on some website it's described as a medical mystery. Mm-hmm. And there's a group of men in a, a rural town in Swaziland who all go mad. Um, and she's asked to go and investigate that. And there's a particular um, genetic disease which causes strange behavior as well as a number of other features, um, fits and strange skin lesions. Mm-hmm. And she's an expert in this. So that's how she gets drawn into it. I particularly did not want it to be about psychiatry because there's a different feel to that. Right. I wanted it to be about a medical disease which presented as strange behavior. From the Western paradigm, obviously the people involved had a different view of it, and that is one of the themes in the book, the difference between the, yeah, the medical <laughs> view and the more cultural, superstitious view. And of, of course things. then there's the wonderful character of Kingston, who's the headman or probably more the mayor of the village. Yes, so when Lena arrives in the town, she finds that her Western medical training is not really serving her as she would wish, and so it's suggested that she goes to speak to the, the chief of mm-hmm. the town, and that is Kingston. And Kingston has an interesting background in that he is related to the king. So he spent some time abroad learning medicine and then decided he didn't like it and came back to Swaziland. And then, of course, there is the phenomenon of solar eclipses and why we believe in the stars. So I think the stars have fascinated people for centuries. Mm -hmm. And you can go back to... Um, you know, the distant past where people were scared by particularly solar eclipses. It is a turning around of the world. The sun and the moon change roles. The one that's dark becomes light and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people have always been fascinated by that. And, of course, there is then, and we're going to have to end off here, but there, of course, is the African law as to what that means and what that does, and there is the scientific law. Chantal, thank you so much for coming in today. The Veil of Maya is published by Minimal Press. It's by Chantal Stewart. It is a medical mystery, but it's also so much more and a love story and exploration of the sciences. Thank you. Thank you very much, Beryl.
That track is called Progress and it's by Shulamit Babas and it leads us to our last interview for this week's show. As the weather is hopefully starting to warm up a bit and we head into spring, we thought that this would be the perfect title to cover for all you intrepid adventurers out there. Philip Todras is here to chat to Nina Duplessis and Willie Olafier, the two authors of a book called Hiking Beyond Cape Town. I have with me Nina van der Merwe, who is the co-author with Willie Olafier of Hiking Beyond Cape Town. 40 inspiring hikes outside the city. And to tell us what's so inspiring about this book is Nina herself. Nina, tell me what motivated this book that you and Woody are enticing us with to go out there in the outdoors. Good morning, Philip. Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you. What inspired it? I think during COVID, we got to know what it's like to be kept inside. And I've always enjoyed hiking. Both my parents enjoy hiking in the outdoors. Um, so I've been exposed to it from a very young age. But what I found frustrating was the lack of information on the Internet with regards to um, hikes. It's usually inconsistent or not accurate. And I thought to myself, it would be really good to have a book that has all the information that you need on all the great hikes in our area. Um, so I approached my dad. He's had a long-standing relationship with Penguin Random House. Um, and he approached them and they agreed. And yeah, two years later, and we've got that book. <laughs> okay. And tell us how you chose them and what were your motives for you trying to get some easy ones and more difficult ones or spread and... Where did you particularly want to take us? I wanted to make it accessible for everybody because some people, kids or pets, and they're not super fit. And then other people like the long, hard hikes. Um, so we tried to include a little bit of everything. We've got quite a few easy hikes and then some moderate hikes and then also the difficult ones. And yeah, I just looked at what I enjoyed, bikes with beautiful scenery and hikes that are quite accessible with um, secure parking yeah so that was what we looked at and i see that some of them are round routes you know you start at one point and end up at the same place whereas others you probably need an extra motor car yeah there are a few where you need an extra motor car but it's only a few most of them are, are circular routes but yeah there's quite a variety okay and what part did willie play in the in the book Really? Well, he gave me scope to do what I wanted to do. Um, so basically, I physically did the hike and I collected the data on the elevation gain and the distance. Um, I recorded the maps and then I did my research on the area and I did a write-up on the hike um, with all the information, photographs, etc. And then I sent it through to Vili. So Vili was basically my... Editor. He looked it over, suggested some changes, added some stuff before it then obviously went to the publisher for editing. Fantastic. Now, from your, I'm going to put you on the spot. Which would you regard as mm -hmm. your, the toughest or most exhilarating from your point of view? And then let's also give a, away a secret to an easy one, but something that's special about that too. Um, the toughest, oh, that's difficult. There's two, but the first one that comes to mind is the Panorama Trail in the Junkershoek Nature Reserve just outside Stellenbosch. Um, it's got a very tough up. It's a circular route, so you can go either way, but it's very, very tough to get up, and it's quite rocky, and it's far, but the 
views are amazing. It's so worth it. Um, and the scenery, it's just you are in the mountains, these majestic, huge Junkersrud mountains. And then the descent's obviously steep as well. And then for an easy hike, I would suggest, I would probably say the Dani Miller Trail in Gordons Bay. It's quite a flat, easy three-kilometer walk, also with beautiful views of the Old Harbour um, and the Alderberg. Well, there's some very nice options there. And anything in particular you want to tell people? Because I see you've also been very practical in terms of having what to take along with you. And I suppose one of the most important things these days is a phone with a good uh, camera. Yes, no, definitely. Um, I would say hiking is for everybody. You don't necessarily have to do the difficult hikes. What is important, however, is good shoes um, that can make and break you. Good shoes, take along snacks and water, check the weather before you go, and yeah, just have fun. Well, in any case, if you want to have a practical and a very beautifully illustrated book and with very good advice and information, do get a copy of Hiking Beyond Cape Town, 40 Inspiring Hikes Outside the City, and that's by Nina van der Merwe, who we'll be speaking to, co-authored with Vidi Ulafir. Right, so before we head off, I wanted to tell you what I've been reading. I've pretty much literally just read the final page of the latest novel by Sebastian Barry. It's called Old God's Time. Sebastian Barry is the twice winner of the Costa Book Prize. I don't think this prize exists anymore. It was last awarded two years ago. But I have found that over the years, the winners of this prize are generally books that I've ended up really enjoying. It's like finding that clothing store that sells just your type of clothes, so I'll often try a Costa winner just on that basis. If I see the Costa prize winner on the cover, I'll definitely look into it. But beyond the Costas, Sebastian Barry is an author I've long enjoyed. He's a serious writer, classic and masterful with his literary fiction. This novel, Old God's Time, is a study of the minutiae of life and aging. It's a brutal tale, told slowly, devastatingly and thoughtfully. Sebastian Barry is certainly a master of our times. And this novel has just been longlisted for the Booker Prize. It's about a retired policeman who's living quietly in Ireland until some of his old colleagues from the police force come to visit about a cold case. And he unravels his own past and Ireland's past. Neither are pretty or easy to read about, and there were tough scenes that will stay with me. For such slow-moving literary fiction, it's very cleverly told and has a surprisingly pacey and rewarding conclusion. I usually don't like to read these kinds of themes, and I stick to the lighter stuff, but sometimes I'm compelled to read something because it's an author I admire, and generally I'm ultimately never sorry that I have. And so that brings us to the end of the show and leaves me with just enough time to thank Mzuma Keta for pulling the show together and to thank our reviewers, authors and interviewers and, of course, the publishers who send us all these lovely books to read and absolutely, of course, to our sponsors' exclusive books. If the book you seek does truly exist, you'll find it at your local exclusive books. Until next time, which is Tuesday, two weeks from now, happy reading. We're playing out with Tuxedo Junction, by the Johnny Cooper Big Band.
was brought to you by Exclusive Books, celebrating getting more books to more people. The Exclusive Books recommend selection makes it easy. By curating 25 of the most talked about and trending books hitting the shelves, you can, with one glance, get a snapshot of everything hot in the world of books, locally and internationally. Exclusive Books also sell gifts, vouchers, stationery and more. Pop into your nearest Exclusive Books and feast your eyes. For more information or to purchase online, visit exclusivebooks.co.za.